What is up, ASM? I am so glad to be back with you as we are continuing our study in the book of Galatians. Uh, we are looking at a pretty interesting text today. If you were with us a few Sundays ago, you'd know that this is kind of weird passage that might not make a ton of sense right off the bat. But our goal for today is to look at the context that people reading this passage were in <clears throat> when it was first written, and then bridge it to our context today. Uh, but before we get into this, I want to pray for us, and then we will get started as we enter into this time of worship. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you for the ability that we have to freely read your word, freely worship you, freely listen to you, and listen about you. God, I pray that you will speak through me in this time, and that you will open up all of our hearts and minds to everyone uh, watching and listening, that we may all be changed by your word. Holy Spirit, move in us. We love you. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are looking at Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31. Uh, but before we get into this, I just wanted to think just for a second. Have you ever bought a furniture item from Ikea? They are renowned for items with insane instructions. They don't use any words so that they can be used internationally. It doesn't matter what language you speak. You can always read IKEA instructions. But that makes it very, very, very frustrating, even to the point where you just want to toss out the instructions entirely. Uh, I had set up these IKEA shelves a few months ago uh, in my room, and I actually got so frustrated because because I just couldn't figure it out, that I ended up breaking the shelves, not out of anger, but because I just wasn't paying attention to the directions. I refused to read them. And I found some great IKEA fails online uh, where people just could not assemble the instructions. So here is a few of them that we can take a look at. Uh, but each of these items are just a scenario where somebody royally struggled and truly screwed up, but uh, they probably struggled with the instructions, tried to take it into their own hands, or just assumed the instructions meant something they really didn't mean. Uh, but they ended up with a result that was way different than what they had initially intended. But that's really the main theme of what we're talking about today. Hearing instructions along with an outcome, but then thinking you know a better or faster way to get there. Which leads us to our big idea. We are set free to enjoy God's blessings on God's terms. Let's start by taking a look at our passage today. Open up to Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31. And here at ASM, we are beginning to uh, encourage you to look and read from a paper Bible. This is truly a time of worship to God where we are hearing his word. And having screens in front of you is just another way that you might be distracted. So uh, I want to encourage you as much as possible to set aside your phone, set aside the Bible app, and look at a paper Bible. But, and if you're new and you haven't opened up a Bible before, you can look at the table of contents. Galatians is towards the very end of the Bible. But Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31 Let's take a look. Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? 
For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Okay, that was a ton. I'll be honest. But I do like to read through the passage entirely in the beginning so we can get a broad scope of what we're looking at. And then we will go through it bit by bit. So let's dive in. Paul is using a story here to make his argument. He's connecting the Galatians' experience to a famous passage from the Hebrew Bible, something that everyone would know. If you and I were together and we're in a stressful situation, maybe we're running late or we run out of gas, someone gets injured, someone's hurt, whatever it may be, I might say something like, Hakuna Matata. And you would know that I meant it means no worries for the rest of your days. I'd be telling you to chill out. I would be using this story of Lion King, the story we've all grown up with, we've all had it, and I'd be using it to connect the, our common knowledge with the current situation. Hakuna Matata. And that's what Paul is doing here. He is using the story his church has grown up with to bridge a situation that they are going through and make it understandable. Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, and Isaac are all very common names to the Jewish people. They've grown up with it. It might as well be Mufasa, Simba, Scar, uh, Nala, Rafiki, the whole gang. But so that we can best understand this story, this context that Paul is trying to put it in, we need to go way back to Genesis so that we can understand what Paul is trying to say. Because we might not have grown up with the same exposure that the audience when this letter was initially written had. So I'm going to just give you the quick spark notes of this whole story so that we can save some time. But in Genesis chapter 13, we find these two characters, Abram and Sarai. They are both very old and they are both married. Sarai has been barren her entire life. She's not had a child. But one day, God promises Abram and Sarai descendants and a great offspring. Abraham is like, dude, I'm way too old. No chance. This is not going to happen. We're not having a kid. And God says, just trust me. And then he makes a promise with Abram that he will have a great nation. His children will have large families and his name will carry on forever. Oh my goodness. It would be so good if the story could just stop right there. But it doesn't. 
Abram and Sarai become impatient. They hear God's promise to them, and then they decide to take matters into their own hands because they don't quite trust God. Genesis 16 tells us that Sarai told Abraham, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram said, or so Abraham, so, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and he, and she conceived. Abram has a child with Sarai's slave or handmaid, something that they were absolutely not told to do by God. And then Hagar conceives a child and a child is born. His name is Ishmael. But then Sarai gets very upset. She's probably jealous at Hagar for having this child because that's something she has wanted her entire life. And after a bit of drama, Ishmael grows up. But then in chapter 16, God sits Abram down and tells him he misheard the promise. He changes Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. Their names now mean father and mother of many. In chapter 17, Abraham is told his wife Sarah will have a child. Abraham reacts the same way he did last time, but he also reacted really in the one way you're never supposed to react. He calls his wife old. <laughs> and even on top of that, to add insult to injury, he laughed. <laughs> you never do that. Abraham, in the passage, it says, he laughed and said to himself, will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Lo and behold, Abraham and Sarah have a child the way God promised. Isaac is born, and he begins the line of Abraham that leads to Jesus. But as Isaac is growing up, Ishmael begins to persecute Isaac. There's division in the family. So Abraham kicks Hagar and Ishmael out of the house and disowns them as family. <sighs> okay, deep breath. That's our context. We made it through Hakuna Matata. The world, this, this actually would have been a lot easier if we had all grown up in Jewish synagogues, so we wouldn't have to go through this, uh, this context, but just saying. But that leads us back to what Paul is addressing. He's finally wrapping up his argument against the Judaizers. This is a group of people who were pressuring and oppressing Gentiles to obey Jewish law in order to be saved. Paul has spent the last few chapters refuting these people, and this right here is the crown jewel of his argument. And honestly, you're probably sick of hearing about Judaizers. We have talked about it for months now, but Paul is tired of it too. So let's get back to the text, verse 21 through 23 of Galatians 4. And remember, paper Bible. Paul writes, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. Okay, we have Ishmael who was born according to the flesh, and he was born because Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands, and then there's Isaac, who was born as a result of a promise from God. Okay, if we keep reading, we are told this. The, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai, 
and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. Paul goes on to say, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. Keep that in mind. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Paul categorizes these two people into groups, the Judaizers and the rest of Christians. The Judaizers, the people pressuring everyone else to follow these Jewish laws, are Hagar and Ishmael. And the Christians who are remaining true to God's promises, Jesus' blessings, and what Paul is saying are Sarah and Isaac. He's actually doing something pretty damning here for the Judaizers. He's being pretty offensive. These Judaizers who have grown up in the church and they pride themselves on their descendancy from the line of Isaac, they are being told that they are actually children of Ishmael. And Ishmael was the one who persecuted Isaac. So they're being told that their actions are persecuting the line that they are so proud of. Paul goes even further at the very end and says, it is the same now, which tells us that he's comparing these two scenarios. But then he takes the instruction from Genesis that says, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Get rid of the Judaizers. Paul isn't arguing this point biologically. The Judaizers are descendants of Isaac. No one is challenging that. But they're behaving like Ishmael. It's like when your mom says, you're being a five-year-old. You're not a five-year-old. You're whatever age you are. But when you're complaining that your feet hurt in the middle of Macy's, you might be acting like a five-year-old. But we want to look at the root here of Paul's argument. Paul is saying that these people have been given a beautiful promise and gift from God. John 14, 6 tells us this promise. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We see here, followers of the law are slaves to the law. That's an idea that we have worked through. We know this because he ties the descendants of Ishmael to Mount Sinai, where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. And the descendants of Isaac are tied to a heavenly Jerusalem, a promise of freedom through Christ. And the Judaizers misheard that promise. They decided to take matters into their own hands. They, figuratively, in Paul's arguments, are sleeping with Hagar since they think that's the best way to achieve God's promise. And Paul is saying that God has given them all they need to achieve and be given this gift. And just like Abraham, who laughed and called his wife old when he was told that she would have a child, this freedom is hard to grapple with at times. Which brings us back to our main idea. 
we are set free to enjoy God's promises and God's blessings on God's terms. We have this tendency, Paul calls out, where we want God's blessings on our terms. We want the kingdom, but without the king. And God knows best. We don't always know why things happen, but we know that God knows best. It's like when a parent has life experience. They can tell you to do something and just say, because I told you so. It can be really annoying. It's probably one of the most annoying things to hear, but they get to say it because they know more than you do. And likely they have a better view of everything happening than what you have. And that's just a hard pill to swallow. But if we zoom out for a second and we look at these new Christians' context in the Church of Galatia, we can easily see it's different than our context. To my knowledge, not many of us have a conviction about circumcision. We don't have these deep-rooted ideas. We're not being persecuted for following Jewish customs. But we can bridge this to our context. For us, there are many promises that we are given when we follow Jesus. We see freedom, joy, community, acceptance, true life. But some of them feel like we could accomplish them on our own. Each of these five are found in Christ, and they're clear promises for these blessings and clear ways to obtain these blessings in the Bible. But like I said, we want these blessings on our terms. I can tell you five biblical ways to achieve these promises, but the world can also tell you five ways that it thinks you can achieve these blessings. But only one way works. Galatians tells us that we have freedom in Christ. The world tells us that we have freedom through self-expression and through control of our own lives. John tells us that we can find joy in Christ. The world tells us we find joy when we do what we want. Colossians tells us we can find biblical community with believers. But the world tells us we can find community through common hobbies. John says that you can come as you are, but are loved too much to stay as you are. The world tells us you can come as you are and stay as you are, no matter how destructive you're being to yourself. Matthew tells us we find true life when we give up our earthly desires. It says our earthly life. The world tells us we find true life when we embrace our earthly desires and hold tight to our lives and what we want. We have the IKEA instructions right here. And I'll be honest, it can be frustrating to stick to them sometimes. But when you toss out the instructions, you're left with a mess. When we want God's blessings on our terms, we're left with emptiness, unfulfillment, and despair. But when we want God's blessings on God's terms, we are given freedom, joy, community, acceptance, and true life. Not to mention salvation. And I want you to think, if there are any ways 
that you're holding on to control of your life. Any ways that you're trying to achieve heavenly blessings in earthly ways. And I want you to think why any of this matters. Why does Paul so desperately want people to follow God? Why does Paul so desperately want people and these, these followers of, of Jesus to follow Jesus' instructions? Why do we need to do that? Because we only get one shot at life on earth. So why not go out, go all out and give God control? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the blessings that you promised to us. Lord, I thank you that uh, we are able to experience those things on earth as a reflection of who you are and just as a taste of what it might be like when we get to follow you for eternity in heaven. Holy Spirit, I ask that you work in us. Lord, that you weigh on our hearts. The psalmist wrote that, that uh, your word is like heavy hand on our shoulder. Lord, be that heavy hand that we cannot forget about and that we continue to be reminded of what we ought to do and how we must follow you. Lord, I thank you for this time and pray that it has been stewarded well. In your name we pray, amen. All right, thank you so much for joining us this week. We can't wait to see you again next week as we start Galatians 5.